Wei was very suspicious of the new virtual net, or Vernet. It struck him as irresponsible. The internet already presented so many dangers. Some very determined people had already used it to find and kill Ollie, who thought he'd gone off the grid. How much more dangerous would an untested virtual technology be? When Rama reached out to Sarah, she reminded Rama that before they became more political and hacktivist, and even before their time, and even before the people of Sakata, they were given a religious philosophy and a goal. They had all pledged their lives to the cause, and Ollie deserved their loyalty for fulfilling his pledge. With that, the others soon followed. Being sucked into the Vernet was an odd experience. Plenty of normies had done it before, but this was the Hacker Circle's first time. Standing there in avatar form, they looked exactly like themselves, down to their hair and clothes. And for a highly secretive international group, it was the first time they'd ever been in a room together. But this was the closest point to normality they got. The Vernet was a giant black abyss, filled to the brim with flashing lights and neon signs. Ali led the way, seemingly knowing where he was going. Wei looked up to see an upside-down football stadium, 300 meters in the air. Underneath where he was walking was a group of men and women doing a rap battle. At first, there were 20 of them scattered across the sky like stars. Then they turned into a single amorphous blob behind him in the shape and size of a 20 meter tall silver coin. It quickly became very clear to the hacker's circle that normal laws of physics didn't apply here and there was no point in walking. The hacker's circle spent an hour or two orientating themselves in this new digital realm as they were acclimatizing, Sarah couldn't help but ask herself, had Ali been here before? Maybe he has, and was just embarrassed that people would find out he liked normie technology. It was rudimentary and reductive, but in a universe of infinite possibilities, in which the wildest recesses of your imagination were at ultimate liberty to be made manifest. The hacker's circle had ironically built what they were most familiar and comfortable with. Wei, Rama, Ali and Sarah were seated in bipedal robots that looked like something out of a video game. They had metal shells to protect them with large wings. And inside, a protective womb with a keyboard and a mouse where they could control their movement. The hacker's circle had eventually found the entrance to Mariana's web through the form of reality they were most familiar with. 
In front of them stood a gigantic mechanical door, covered in gears and cogs, like an arcane bank vault. And superimposed in front of it were lines and lines of code, kilometers wide and tall. They stood in front of it, typing vigorously. Not the whole door, something unlocked after a few hours of work. A single colony of gears on the door began whirring rapidly and rolled back into themselves, revealing the slightest of gaps. And smoke immediately curled out from it, transforming into something halfway between a ghostly apparition and a movie. It was an image of a submersible, attached by a cord far, far above, even higher than the top of the mechanical door. And it came all the way to the bottom, meeting the hacker's circle. A loud crashing sound, and it was like the entire area was engulfed in water like they were on the ocean floor. The mechanical doorway had been replaced by some sort of underwater cavern. But it couldn't have been real. There was no water inside it, defying physics. And now, the submersible was pulled into the waterless cavern like a vacuum. The creaking of the little machine was becoming more harsh and strained until inevitably the umbilical cord that connected it to the world above snapped. There was a crash as the submersible rolled over, sitting still for a couple of minutes. Then the front door of the submersible opened and a terrified man stumbled out. The man's quaffed hair, close shave and beige clothing made him look like somebody from those movies a hundred years ago. The man instinctively grabbed at his throat, almost as if expecting to choke, but he didn't, until he saw what looked like another man standing three meters tall with the wings of a large eagle protruding from his back at the end of the cavern. This creature seemed oddly poised, standing perfectly straight, staring at the man calmly. The man arrogantly bellowed out, asking the creature his name. The creature responded that he was known as Focalore. Focalore then asked, What is your name, Lumerian? The man said that his name was Jack Olson, but that he had no idea what a Lumerian was, and made it very clear he thought the term sounded like mumbo-jumbo. Focalore responded with frustration, stating, That's you, I'm certain. How your kind changes so often. What are you calling yourselves now? Human, replied Jack. 
human. Folklore repeated, rolling the syllable slowly over his tongue. Yes. Yes, he'd definitely heard the term before, but saw no point remembering it if it was just going to change again. The creature then began advancing towards Jack. Your tone is not befitting of the rank conferred on you, human. Yeah, well, I'm a contractor. I don't have a rank, buddy, Jack said. Not yet, bellowed Focalore, as his wings expanded to three times their size. Engulfing Jack and the entire underwater cavern. Wei, Rama, Ali, and Sarah just sat there in their little robots, stunned. The vision, movie, or whatever it was, had disappeared, and they were back in front of the giant mechanical door. What had just happened? Wei wasn't interested in staying for an answer. He was having a panic attack, and he wanted to leave immediately. Sarah got out of her robot, running over to Wei to try to calm him down. She tried to remind him of what they were doing there. It had been a decade of their work, and decades of the work of the dedicants before them, all culminating in this zenith right now. Their life's purpose sat right behind that door. Wei was hearing none of it. His robot disappeared instantly as his control on reality began to break down. He was grabbing his temples and shook and screamed violently. Wei was trying to manifest an exit sign, but his fear and unfocused mind had turned his arm into a giant, heavy circuit board that pulled his body to the ground. The circuit board bulged out of his flesh like a tumour, covered in viscera and throbbing veins. On top of it was a giant red button that said EXIT. And Wei was pressing it over and over and over again. Why wasn't it working? No matter how many times he smashed it, it didn't work. Then, suddenly, Millions of whirring gears began to spin all over the giant mechanical door as it slowly creaked open. Guys, I think we did it, Ali said. He had been silently cracking the final parts of the chamber while everyone else was distracted and didn't waste a second walking in. Rama walked in with her robot. As Sarah leant down to help Wei drag his enormous enlarged arm with him into the chamber. The overwhelming sense of awe that the four members of the hacker's circle felt 
negated any of their physical afflictions or awareness of the fact that the chamber door had sealed behind them. In the middle of this all-white chamber, decorated with vines, clouds, and luscious fruit that defied gravity, stood a woman between a white and black pillar, wearing blue robes. Emerging from all over her body were large, fleshy tendrils, seemingly infinite in their twisting expanse. Wei opened his mouth to try and breathe out words, but nothing could come out. No sooner than when he had parted his lips did reality flash and warp. The four members of the hacker's circle were now in front of the woman in the blue robe in less than a second. The woman in the blue robe seemed to be in a daze. She stumbled through asking them why they were here, as if she were relearning how to speak. It was Sarah who first found the courage to answer, telling her that she'd been given a task to find someone who had gone missing long ago. And that journey had led them eventually to here. Rama then followed up the question, emboldened by Sarah's interjection. Who... Who are you? The woman stuttered, getting used to language again. She mouthed an M sound with difficulty. Ma Mariana? Asked Wei. Ma margaret Margaret Olsen. The hacker's circle looked at each other in confusion. Ali suddenly broke out of his silence. He said to Margaret, Jack, he sent us. Rama looked at Ali in confusion. Who's Jack? It seemed that Margaret shared that confusion because she said that Jack was already here. No sooner had she spoken, did Jack Olsen appear out of nowhere wearing a white and red robe. Not that Jack. Lumen, she sent us. Do you know her? Ali asked, seemingly comfortable to engage in conversation now. Sarah, Wei, and Rama exchanged even more baffled looks. A mixture of shock, grief, and anguish came over Maggie's face. Although she had reunited with her love, Jack, there was still a recess of her heart she had reserved for Madame Lumen. Ali seemed to be waiting, anticipating Maggie's response. And then as Maggie began to put it together, the colour flooded back into her visage. Maggie had met a spirit long ago that had joined her in the Mariana's web. It was all making sense now. Lumen had convinced Jack, the other Jack, to create a homunculus. Jack had his religious teachings, but Lumen, she just wanted to know what happened to the woman she loved. Eventually, the homunculus had found a way to fulfill that task with Cicada 3301. And now, finally, the answer had been provided. 
100 years after the question was asked. Was it Rollo? Ali screamed, seemingly out of nowhere. Margaret looked at Ali, surprised. She took a second to think, scanning her memory. Margaret was aware of the man. Everyone in her coven was. But no, it couldn't have been him. She was certain. Ali then took a step back and began convulsing, his body seemingly possessed in an epileptic fit. In between gasps and groans, Ali gargled out the following words to the hacker's circle over and over. Guys, I'm so, I'm so sorry, guys. Sarah, Wei, and Rama all turned to face Ali, staring in paralyzed horror. There was a brief moment of stillness, and Ali then looked upwards, as if talking to someone else. He then said, You, you promised. Ali's avatar then collapsed to the ground, lifeless. Sarah rushed over to him and knelt down, leaning over him. She didn't want to believe he was dead. That's not what happens here. It couldn't be true. Sarah looked to Rama for something, anything, to convince her it wasn't real. She just stuttered something about disconnecting. Wei was then quick to point out he had already tried exiting multiple times before. Then, Ali's body began to shift. Sarah recoiled back in horror. The sound of laughter could be heard as his body began to rise abnormally, like a puppet being hoisted by its strings. And a voice then said, Don't worry, Ali's dead. I'm a man of my word. It was Desmond Lynch's. Margaret instantly recognized Lynch's voice. With the festering rage of decades, she asked Lynch how he could have done this to her. And the strangest thing happened. The face of Ali's puppet body looked insulted. Do this to you? Did you see the abomination that was here before? The unimaginable suffering? You're here in paradise, every whim and every desire instantly fulfilled with the company of the love of your life. Margaret wasn't convinced by the argument. She couldn't leave. And this new arrangement meant that the Goetia had managed to find a way out as well. Ali's lifeless puppets stood there for a second, confused. It was very clear that no one here understood. That was the whole point, Lynch responded. This time it was Jack Olson that broke the silence, threatening that Lynch wouldn't be leaving Mariana's web. And then, as if reminded of something, Lynch's demeanor changed. He'd gotten what he needed. Lynch reminded everyone that he'd never been in Mariana's web. 
he was just speaking over Ali's dead body. The other surviving members of the hacker's circle, however, well, they'd fallen neatly into his trap. Lynch didn't mean to gloat. He was getting tired of the whole thing. And there was a tinge of sadness in his departing words to Margaret. If you see him, say hi to Gaspar. Ali's avatar disappeared. Rama and Sarah looked over at Wei, whose bulging, visceral arm seemed now to be decaying. Something had been cut off. Rama looked over at where the chamber door had been previously, but there was nothing but a white abyss. Sarah looked over at Jack and Margaret, who seemed resigned to their fate. And finally, Wei, Rama, and Sarah began to look at the tens, then hundreds, then thousands of faces and bodies that were emerging from the ether. Broken men and women in purple robes and black sneakers. Snarling, vicious, human-animal hybrids. And in the distance, the unspeakable forms that vaguely resembled aching contortions of thousands of legs, eyeballs, and exposed organs. All of whom were now slowly approaching the three remaining members of the hacker's circle. Finally, the white expanse of Mariana's web was engulfed in darkness, its natural state. You've just listened to episode 13 of The Sulfuric Secrets and the conclusion of season 1. This is the end of the Sulfuric Secrets for now, but it's just the beginning for Between Two Worlds content. There's a number of projects on the Between Two Worlds slate, including the recent launch of the Sulfuric Secrets website. I've been tossing up a series in between the second season of the Sulfuric Secrets that interviews experts related to each episode. So think Hollywood, rocket science, occultism, ancient history. Let me know if this is something you'd like to see and I can make it a priority in terms of projects. Otherwise, Between Two Worlds is working on two other big projects. I'm currently editing a short found footage horror film that I wrote, directed and produced, which I think that fans of the Sulfuric Secrets might like. The other is a documentary series on the relationship between migrant communities and martial arts. The first episode is going to cover Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Finally, assuming 2021 isn't the literal apocalypse, I'm planning to finish the year with a bang by beginning production on my first feature film. For fans of John Carpenter's The Thing, I'm guessing you'll probably enjoy what I'm thinking of putting out there. We're looking to crowdfund and get a community together around it, so be sure to keep in touch with Between Two Worlds to keep on top of updates. Until then, a very, very sincere thank you to all of you very, very much. You make it all worth it. And good night.